Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon. My six o'clock is right in the middle, but welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm Michael Fragan on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org, and welcome to the show as we wrap up another week in the political world Thursday night here. And uh, so much to talk about. Great show coming up. Going to really talk very much about uh, things going on here in New York City, the Big Apple 2013 coming up. And, we, you know, trying to get some themes in in the shows a little bit. You know, we did New Jersey a couple weeks ago, and then last week, little Albany slash Jewish and, you know, Jewish insider politics. And today we're going to focus on citywide races, city council races, uh, and we'll have some uh, political gurus along with us. Uh, first off, we're going to have city council candidate David Strobin, former Senator David Strobin, joining us. And then we're going to have uh, Colin Campbell from the uh, Politicker. And then uh, we're also going to have Adam Dichter from the Jewish Week, who's been covering politics for uh, quite some time. And I don't want to date him, but he's been covering politics for the Jewish Week for quite some time and understands both the political world and the Jewish world and as they relate. And, you know, he's had many citywide elections under his belt. Uh, but first off, I uh, want to kind of grab some of those big, big headlines out there. And there have been a lot of political headlines this this week uh, to tackle. Um, we'll start, actually, with the with the polling. You know, polls are now out on the mayoral race, and I think the big enchilada out there for the mayoral race was this Marist poll that had Anthony Weiner on top. He kind of traded places with Christine Quinn, who's been the longtime frontrunner in the mayoral race. And Weiner is now leading. It seemed that it was impossible to be, possible to happen, that the man could go from resigning his seat in Congress and make a comeback to the top of the heap in the Democratic primary. That could tell you two things. Number one, and we'll discuss the, all of this uh, as we get on to the show. Number one is that uh, Anthony Weiner, that, well, let's put it, let's start with number one, is that the public is not too enamored with some of the other candidates out there because somebody can kind of swoop in there and come right to the top. And number two is that Weiner, uh, He's a political force. He was a political force beforehand, before his issues, and uh, he's a political force now. And there was no question, I think, that we talked about the fact that he he was going to be somebody who was going to scramble this race, and it was going to be make this race all the more complicated for all the other candidates in there. So it's certainly, uh, certainly going to be a horse race right now. And we are going to take calls later on in the show. Throw out that number right now. 212-529-4620. 212-529-4620. And we are going to just yeah, want to go to two more headlines right now uh, that we have out there. Is the Well, you know what? I'll run them all down. The, the Senate has passed comprehensive immigration reform. It didn't seem like Congress in D.C. could do nothing. Or could I sorry could do anything? Yet the Senate has, despite you know threats of filibuster and despite all kinds of uh, threats of, polar, of a polarized Senate, the U.S. Senate has passed comprehensive immigration reform. Just when you thought they couldn't get anything done. But wait, 
it's possible that this still will not mean anything gets done because the House has basically said, well, we're not interested in this uh, comprehensive immigration reform. We want to address many of the issues one at a time. So we're not going to take up the Senate bill. We're going to pass our own bill, and we're going to have, it's going to be, and then it's going to have to go to conference committee. So just when you thought that the dysfunction in Washington was somehow cured, stay tuned because it might not actually be cured. And then there were some momentous decisions from the Supreme Court of the United States, known in the political parlance as SCOTUS, and that's what you see out there. So I just like to, you know, make it. Kind of condense it, SCOTUS. Avrami's smiling because that's a that's a cool word. Uh, they had a number of landmark decisions this week, and number and number one amongst them politically is not same-sex marriage. It is the Voting Rights Act, and they made a decision on the Voting Rights Act that would be out there, so uh, that would uh, allow modifications to the Voting Rights Act to basically say that districts that are that that just because they had discrimination many years ago many decades ago they don't necessarily going to have discrimination right now and therefore they need to discuss why uh, they would need to uh, discuss uh, they need to have approval from the from the justice department uh, not in every case. So New York City, it seems, according to that decision, would no longer need approval from the Justice Department for their district lines that are drawn because uh, the patterns of discrimination uh, may no longer be present. And certainly, I think if you see a city council in New York City that is majority minority or majority people of color, as, as, as we say, you could probably come to uh, some realization that the that the need for some of these uh, approvals are, are no longer uh, are no longer existent. But I want to run to our first guest out there, uh, former state senator David Sterobin, who is now running for city council in the 48th Councilmanic District out there in southern Brooklyn. And this is a race that we're going to be looking at closely over the next uh, the coming weeks or coming months up until September and uh, into, no- into November. So, uh, f- uh, Senator Sterobin, welcome uh, to SPIN Class. Thank you for having me. So uh, always good to always good to hear from you. And uh, I think one thing you have right now is running as a Republican. You have a little bit of a luxury. There are a lot of Democrats who are going to fight fight it out and punch it out a little bit. And uh, you're going to sit back, watch them punch it out, and then take take uh, you know take them on in the general election. Well, uh, I think that is certainly an advantage. But even more so, the fact that this is the most Republican voting district in all of New York City. People don't realize that there's, uh, uh, there are a bunch of neighborhoods in Brooklyn that vote very, very Republican. Uh, we're talking about John McCain winning 70% and Romney winning 70% and Mike Bloomberg and Rudy Giuliani and so on, all of them pulling more than 70% in the boundaries of this district. So, And um, myself also, I write about uh, 70% against Lou Fiddler in the overlapping areas. Okay, so give us an idea what neighborhoods are in this district and how, how much of that overlapped with your old uh, Senate district. Uh, it overlaps all but four blocks. I mean, all so, but four blocks. So you represented uh, most of the people already in this district. Yes, yes. And uh, the neighborhoods are Brighton Beach, Ships of Bay, Midwood, uh, uh, parts of Flatbush, um, Madison, and parts of Gravesend. Okay, and... 
just uh, as far as the demographic mix, I know this district was kind of, was when it was drawn, there was some controversy within the Jewish community. I think uh, with uh, the Orthodox Jewish community pitted against the Russian Jewish community uh, over who would have a majority of the seat uh, or within the district, and uh, you know that I think that fight is still kind of going on. Well, uh, I think this is something that the Democratic Party, which was responsible for redistricting because they do control the city council, they think they did it on purpose because the, these are the two communities that vote Republican, and they wanted to pit one against the other, and there's really no no reason for that. Uh, there's a significant Russian Jewish population as well as uh, an Orthodox Jewish population in the district, and um, uh, I think I've proven in the past that I'm very, very capable and very, very willing to represent both of them. So when you talk about a lot of the issues such as uh, school vouchers, for example, which is sponsored in the Senate, such as um, a redefinition of marriage, the repeal of which is sponsored in uh, the Senate, uh, such as helping small businesses, helping uh, private schools, um, traditional values, and so on and so forth. I don't, I don't see a lot of um, difference between the two communities, and certainly I, I think I've proven with the 42 bills that I've sponsored in the Senate that I'm uh, I have both communities as well as the other people uh, in the district because we do have a significant Catholic population as well. So I think I've proven that I can represent all of these communities and represent them fairly. So it's rare, I think, that right now there are only four Republicans in the city council, and so it's pretty rare for a Republican to get elected in the New York City Council to New York City Council seat. Uh, are you banking on that strategy of, of these conservative voters who vote who vote Republican in other elections, but not necessarily in city council elections, they're gonna they're gonna kind of uh, change their change their minds in this in this race. Or do you think that a Republican, uh, you know, there'll be kind of a, a Republican surge uh, amongst these uh, amongst these different groups? Well, uh, like I said, uh, it does. It, this district does vote Republican at a lot of different levels. Unfortunately, the Republican Party has not put up a council councilmatic candidate. Uh, in this district in a long time, so we don't even know um, how people would would vote at the local level. We do know that when I ran against Lou Fiddler uh, in the overlapping areas, which are all but four blocks of this councilmatic district, uh, I got I got just about seventy percent. So I think that's a fair statement of where this race will be headed. And um, the people here, uh, not only do they vote Republican, but a lot of them actually register Republican. Uh, the proportion of Republicans to Democrats in this district is extremely favorable, more so than any other local district that we have in Brooklyn, uh, including some held by Republicans. So if you look at uh, the seat being held by, let's say, uh, Senator Marty Golden, uh, that uh, that district has a worse proportion of Republicans to Democrats than this councilmatic seat. Certainly, the seat that I won, it was about 3.6, I think, Democrats to one Republican. Um, that was far worse party registration than this uh, than this uh, than this seat. Um, I really feel like this seat should be represented by a Republican, and it was in a way created to be represented by a Republican because uh, I feel like all the other Democrats nearby figured that they were better off. Uh, getting rid of Republicans as much as possible so that they can uh, have a non-competitive election uh, in their seats, and uh, they wound up shoving all the Republicans into my district. Interesting. So as far as the Republicans are concerned, there's a, a competitive Republican primary for mayor at the top of the ticket, and I guess who would be the person that you would be running with. Uh, mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, in Brooklyn, the county chairman is supporting John Katsimatidis, 
and the state senator Marty Golden that you mentioned is supporting uh, Joe Loda. Uh, there's also George McDonald in the race. Uh, do you have a preference uh, there as to who you want to run with and who might be most helpful to you? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, the reason that I got involved in politics is because I uh, accidentally stumbled onto Rudy Giuliani in Borough Park um, when he ran when he won the first time in 1993. And uh, he at the time pointed to Dov Hyken's office and said, anyone who wants to uh, help me, go into Dov Hyken's office and you can volunteer through this office. So Rudy Giuliani was the reason that I got involved in politics in the, in the first place. And um, Joe Loda was somebody who was uh, Rudy Giuliani's right-hand man. He was the acting mayor when Giuliani was out of town. He was the deputy mayor when Giuliani was in town. So this is someone who... Uh, who was right next to Rudy throughout their eight years together. And I think we can tell, uh, we can say uh, very objectively that the city got much better, much better uh, when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. So for that reason, because Rudy Giuliani was someone that I looked up to and someone that who got me involved in politics, I think that it would be the right thing for me to do to support Rudy Giuliani's uh, deputy mayor. Very interesting. Is that causing any issues with you amongst other Republicans or most Republicans out there in southern Brooklyn uh, of, the, of a similar mind that Giuliani coattails? They remember Giuliani so fondly. I think a lot of people do remember Giuliani very fondly. I think that he is extremely popular in my district. I mean, uh, there is not a single politician who comes close to Rudy Giuliani in my district. Uh, in fact, I've seen a poll uh, maybe half a year ago when not too many people knew either of the three, or none of the three candidates and something like 70% of the people or 60% of the people said they're not sure who to vote for, except when they were told, well, what if Rudy Giuliani endorses one of them? And um, a large majority at that point said, okay, then I'll go with whoever he endorses. So he is, he is still easily the most popular elected official in my, uh, in my district. So give us a rundown of who you're running, who might be running against you in on the Democratic side. Have you focused at all on their strengths and weaknesses and uh... – you know what what might be out there. Uh, you want to name some of the candidates? Well, we're mo- mostly focusing on our, ourselves and what we're trying to accomplish. What our agenda is, uh, as far as who's running out there, there's uh, Heim Deutsch, who is uh, the uh, head of Shomrim, uh, who is also the staff staffer for uh, Mike Nelson, whose uh, seat we're running for. And there's also uh, Judge Igor Oberman. He's a <clears throat> like I said, he's a. Um, there's uh, Ari Kagan. Uh, who was an assistant to several uh, Democratic elected officials like Mike McMahon. Um, and then there's Teresa Scabble, who is the chairperson of the uh, Community Board 15. Uh, they all have their strength. They all have their weaknesses. Um, I'm more conservative than they are. I mean, I think that I would be less uh, – I would not – I would certainly not owe anything to the Democratic Party. So when you have, uh, let's say, the UFT endorsing Ari Kagan just recently – that's a sign that this is a person who will not be able to either support school vouchers or better fund private schools. Because the UFT, uh, as several newspaper articles pointed out, is the most uh, anti-vouchers, the most anti-private school union out there. Uh, and um, they would obviously not support somebody like myself who made the funding of private schools a priority in his um, short uh, stint in the Senate. I've sponsored about 12 bills dealing with education. Uh, most of them would be relevant to private schools. So with regard to – I mean, some of those issues are, are state issues that you might not be able to tackle at the, at the city council level. Do you have – are there specific 
issues on a city ca- on the city level that you that you're interested in tackling? Well, uh, some of them are a combination of city and state. So let's say funding for education programs uh, uh, such as after-school vouchers, for example, which are being cut right now, that's a significant source of income for a lot of the private schools. That's also a significant source of aid to a lot of the people who need tutoring and so on. That has to be restored and that has to be increased. Um, As far as, uh, let's say, giving people a a tax break, uh, we can give city-level tax breaks to people who are sending their kids to private schools. Um, but it doesn't just get limited to schools. Uh, certainly in my district, we've gotten badly beat up in, uh, during the hurricane. My district got beat up probably more than any other district out there, and that is something that uh, we need to make sure that, uh, we, get, we get some kind of help because the reality is that we've been abandoned. I mean, we've had six and seven-foot sand dunes in the middle of my district, and nobody would, was doing anything. At one point, I, was, I took a picture, and this was more than half a year after it happened, I took a picture of myself standing next to a pile of sand that was probably seven or eight feet high. And I posted it on my Facebook page, which people are welcome to go and uh, look at it. And you'll see that uh, it, more than half a year after the hurricane, nobody is helping us. Um, uh, all we're seeing is just a waste of money, by and large, because um, uh, nobody is interested in helping people. They are much more interested in um, making sure that somebody, their, their friends, their uh, backers, and so on, that they benefit. So let me give you one example. Uh, they, uh, the federal government gave $30 million uh, to, for Brighton Beach recovery from Hurricane Sandy. Instead of helping small businesses that would pay taxes, instead of helping people who lost their cars and their homes and so on, they're building four bathrooms that are going to be $7.5 million each. I mean, I don't know if they're being built out of gold. I, I don't know if they're being... Ba- bathrooms for you, where? For the, for the beach, for correct? The, for the beach, yeah. Right. There are going to be four bathrooms that are $7.5 million each. I mean, it's a $30 million b- uh, bathroom project. Uh, and this is where FEMA money is going to. It, it's really ridiculous. So, I mean, even if you don't live anywhere near the uh, areas that got beat up by the hurricane, you should still be aware that your taxes are being thrown literally down the drain. I mean, I, literally. I, I can't imagine that the, that a bathroom would cost that much. Yeah, well, it, I think I remember uh, that Al Gore used to talk about the you know $500 toilet seat or something like that. But we're here talking to, on Spin Class, talking to uh, former Senator David Strobin running for the uh, city council in the 48th councilmanic district. Um, there, there was an interesting story today, I think, uh, with regard to uh, Chaim Deutsch. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but I'll, I'll give you the quick rundown on it. That with regard to, uh, as you mentioned, that he is the district manager or or chief of staff or something, holds some position with regard in uh, Councilman Mike Nelson's district. Uh, Councilman Nelson is uh, term limited and uh, is actually the longest-serving councilman right now in the city council uh, because he won a special election. Uh, you know, a little trivia class there as to who he replaced, but uh, we can leave that for later in the show. Uh, the uh, Mike Nelson's uh, uh, staffer, um, Heim Deutsch, is, out the, is uh, also funneled money to a nonprofit that he is uh, the leader of. I don't know if you saw that, called the Flatbush Showroom. Um, is that... Uh, it, it, do, you, do you find that to be uh, kosher? Well, I don't know the exact details of what transpired there, but uh, certainly uh, money needs to be spent in a proper way. And we've seen too, mu- uh, too many occasions where instead of helping uh, whoever you're supposed to help, uh, political, uh, I mean, elected officials are helping themselves, uh, 
or helping their friends or helping the people who've sponsored their campaigns by giving them money or by sending them volunteers. And it's a major problem. Uh, yesterday, somebody, I was, somebody was interviewing me, and they asked, well, which program would you cut? And my answer was, it's not that the whole program needs to be cut necessarily. It's that in every program there's someone out there who's putting money into his own pockets instead of uh, spending the money the way that it's supposed to be spent. And uh, with, the, with the hurricane, we're seeing the same thing. I mean, again and again, the government gave so much money, I mean, tens of billions of dollars for hurricane recovery, and yet no regular person is seeing that money. Nobody can, nobody's getting money for their cars, nobody's getting money for their homes, nobody's getting money for their businesses. Uh, they're coming up with crazy regulations. For example, uh, condo owners cannot get any help for whatever reason. It's just, it's just a very ridiculous uh, way that they're doing it. And uh, in every program, somebody needs to go over everything and make sure that uh, nobody's sending money to their front. So I guess the big problem there in Southern Brooklyn is that the, is that, you know, when the when the congressional Republicans objected to the Sandy Aid Bill because it contained too much pork, I think what what you're saying is even the pork that it contains uh, it doesn't seem to be getting to the pork appropriate spots. No, it doesn't. I mean, it just seems to be that uh, the money is going to people's funds. I mean, that's the that's, money is going to people's funds or friends. Uh, to, uh, to people's friends. People's friends, like like in what like in what you're talking. It, Similar well, to what I just talked uh, about let with, let me with give you the Deutsch? Uh, most obvious example, which I just brought up, that it doesn't cost seven and a half million dollars to build a bathroom. It just doesn't. Uh, and who, uh, whoever is doing it is doing it because somebody uh, they're fr- they're friendly with somebody who's benefiting from it. I cannot imagine that there's any other reason for them to for them to do this. Okay. Well, uh, I think that uh, that's certainly something uh, I I would expect to be become a big issue. I imagine uh, Sandy is a big issue. Out there in southern Brooklyn, it will continue to be an issue. It's still an issue in the Rockaways and the like. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Okay, thank you. Uh, former Senator David Sterobin, uh running for City Council District, the 40th Council District, in, out there in southern Brooklyn. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on Spin Class. Thank you. Okay, we're talking politics here on Spin Class, uh, sponsored by Season Supermarkets uh, here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, moving on to... Uh, Colin Campbell of The Politicker, definitely a blog that everybody interested in New York City politics should be reading. Colin beforehand was at Brooklyn Politics. He founded that site. It was always a, a great source of scoop out there. So uh, he always seems to know uh, kind of what's going on, where the bodies are buried. So, Colin, welcome to uh, Spin Class. Uh, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Great. So uh, I don't know if you caught the tail end of that interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were some interesting allegations there uh, from uh, from Senator Strobin uh, as far as where the money's going in his district or his uh, his his district that he hopes for. But it actually brings uh, the the issue I wanted to bring out uh, to you in a little bit of a transition is that you know here is he says this is a very winnable seat for a Republican. Mm-hmm. And uh, down in Southern Brooklyn, it's the most Republican. I haven't looked at the numbers because uh, I haven't, you know, since the redistricting. But uh, you know, we don't often think of seats being in play for Republicans, uh, council seats being in play for Republicans. Is this a winnable district for a Republican? I think so, and I think uh, more so than that, it's possible. Uh, it's possibly one of four or so districts citywide that are winnable for Republicans. Okay, well, there are currently four councilmen. So you're right. saying, in addition. 
the, in addition to the four or four total? Oh, maybe, maybe. I, I guess you could add another one for uh, for him. But you know, it'll be in flux. There's a strong uh, field of Democrats for uh, Republican Councilman Dan Halloran's district, and he was arrested for corruption. So Democrats might be more likely to take that than not. And uh, Democrats are hoping to make a play for. Uh, Staten Island Councilman Jimmy Otto's district, and they're hoping not to lose this one. Okay. Uh, I think there's also uh, a Democratic district leader, Lou Simon, running for Eric Ulrich's seat, although I think most people you know, feel that that's probably in the Republican, you know, possibly in the Republican column. Right. Uh, so, you know, a couple things, you know, just to, just to start off. It's 2013, and, you know, this week since we last talked about, you know, coming, you know, what to talk about here on the show, uh, the whole world's been turned upside down by some polling going on. You know, Maris versus Quinnipiac as far as who is in, who's in first place in the mayor's race. Um, so, uh, you know, just straight off, uh, you know, we have, you know, a poll that basically puts Anthony Weiner on top, which is something that nobody could have predicted uh, a couple weeks ago, and certainly not a couple months ago, and certainly not a year ago. Uh, what, what do you make of that? What does that do to, to the races, you know, citywide? I mean, I think it shows Anthony Weiner is, 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 is performing very strongly and that he's not going to, at least thus far, embarrass himself in this race. And he's going to be a strong contender to finish in the runoff, along with, uh, you know, at the moment, Council Speaker Christine Quinn and uh, former Comptroller uh, Bill Thompson. And, I mean, it's still very early. Most voters aren't paying attention. The, can- the campaigns still have to spend millions and millions of dollars and actually reach out to voters. I don't think most people really are aware of the race. I mean, your listeners might be, but uh, I think that most of New, New Yorkers, perhaps not so much. And uh, it's just really early, but it sort of it shows Anthony Weiner is, is not doing so badly. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually going to start off the show, and I, sometimes I forget what I want to start off with. And I'm thinking this is the last show in June, mm-hmm. and this is kind of the time where people really, if they were paying attention, they're going to stop paying attention for two months. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't paying attention before now, they're certainly not going to be paying attention uh, until until Labor Day. So it's mm-hmm. kind of you know the big slumber politically, kind of, and you know politicians are like searching around for things to do over the summer. <laughs> so you're going to have you know big lull. I you know I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a lot of movement. But mm-hmm. the, one thing I found interesting. Thing is that you, you, you mentioned uh, you, know, we, you know we talked about Weiner and Quinn and uh, and and Thompson as kind of right now being the big three in the race, as, mm-hmm. but there's only room for two in a runoff. Right. So I think everybody's calculation is kind of thrown off as saying, okay, you know, most polls say, well, Weiner's probably going to be in there, or he mm-hmm. might be in there, depending on all the money that needs to be spent, and he certainly has quite a bit of money. But who's going to be the other person? Or is it a question of it's certainly going to be Thompson because he, you know, is you know African American, therefore has a built-in advantage, and Weiner and Quinn are fighting to also be in the runoff. Or is it certainly going to be Quinn because she's the only woman, and therefore the other two are going to be fighting to you know the runoff? You know, there's all kinds of questions. I mean, your guesses are as good as mine. All I know is there's six candidates, and there's a game of musical chairs, and there's only two two seats on it. Uh, and the exact, you know, you can make all these arguments. You know, for example, with Christine Quinn, you say she's the only woman. Well, you look at the attorney general's race uh, in 2010. There were five strong candidates, so only one of them was female, uh, Kathleen Rice. She didn't end up making it. Uh, it there's not necessarily a strong uh, female voting bloc. And then for, say, Bill Thompson, uh there's a question he's slightly more conservative than on policing issues than some of the other candidates. There are some, you know, uh, a lot of other candidates in the race are going to be making him play for the same African-American vote, and we haven't really had a scenario like this before. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine at this point. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to kind of 
go in a, the, a little bit of a different direction because he wrote a very interesting article out there about mm-hmm. the race that nobody's watching, right? And that's the race to kind of succeed Christine Quinn as right. the speaker. And, uh, you know, there will be a mayor, and then there's going to be the second most important person in the city government, the city council speaker. And that's a race that really doesn't take place in public. It takes place behind the scenes. But uh, the fact is that people are already writing about it. So uh, give us give us some perspective. Give the give the people out there some understanding of what happens and how behind the scenes and how that sausage gets made. Sure. I mean, first thing to understand is how enormously powerful this position is. It's the second most powerful in city government. Christine Quinn can dole out millions of dollars, control the entire city council's legislative agenda at a whim if she so chooses. Um, so it's very influential. And that sort of stands in contrast with the insider game by which she gets picked. It's the 51 members of the city council, and it, it's not – so only those 51 get a vote. She needs – or the, the person that replaces her needs 26 of those members. But it's not as simple as a mere popularity contest. There's all these factions. Everybody comes in a voting block almost. So there's all this wooing and charming and, and deal-making trying to, to be made with the people that control those voting blocks. Uh, the, uh, the county lead, Democratic leaders are, are them. The Republican members are expected to vote as a block. Uh, progressives are trying to vote as a block. It, it's going to be it's, <laughs> it's a very complex uh, game with uh, a lot of machinations going on behind the scenes. So if the Republicans might have, well, they might be reduced to three seats. They mm-hmm. might be up to five seats. You never know. Right. Uh, that that actually could uh, come into play as far as a voting block. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess you don't think of it that way as Republicans voting for Speaker, but I guess they are. A, could be a sizable faction. Mm-hmm. But uh, you talk about this council speaker have enormous power, and that that is incredible that they can control the entire agenda on a whim. I guess similar to what we have in Albany with the. Uh, Assembly Speaker and mm-hmm. Senate Majority Leader. Where does that power come from? Is that in the city charter? Um, it, it, it comes through the city charter, I believe, as well as um, she controls who sits atop committees, and uh, the Speaker's office is basically the same as the City Council's office. And just and they can, uh, it's not a complete dictatorship per se, but there's enormous uh, uh, sort of built in powers to bottle up legislation, as well as the fact that in order to become speaker, you have the support of the majority of the people, of the, of the members, and therefore you, your allies can sort of block things if you want to negotiate that way. So who's, uh, who are the front runners? Give us, uh, give us some handicap there, as they, you know, who, and who is, you know, who's in favor, who's out. If you had to call it today, you know, what, would you, what would you say you know, would be the, uh, the two or three leading candidates? <laughs> this is even harder than trying to predict the mayor's race. Well, you know, um, it doesn't have to be a prediction. It just uh-huh. uh, just give us a perspective. So there's at the moment there's six candidates. There, it's, it's a solid number of candidates. They, they've officially declared. They've they've said we are we want to be speaker. Behind the scenes. Okay. Only a few of them have said publicly. But there's two Bronx council members, uh, Jimmy Vaca and Annabelle Palma. There is Queens councilman Mark Weprin. And then there are three Manhattan uh, council members, uh, Melissa Mark Viverito, Inez Dickens, and Dan Gorodnik. Um, there's so many factors in play because, for example, um, uh, Queen's Democratic chair, Jill Crowley, controls t- basically 12 of the 26 needed votes and has enormous powers. But what's going on in his mind, whether or not he wants to have the speakership for himself or, as conventional wisdom says, says uh, trade away his votes so that he gets some powerful committee chairs in his borough is anybody's guess. And what sort of deal he strikes up with uh, Brooklyn and the Bronx is, will be uh, 
basically decisive. I, I, I can't predict what's going through their heads. Okay, so as far I guess that's the big question is mm-hmm. where these county leaders go, and and one of the big one of the big variables out there is that uh, you know Brooklyn had a change in county leadership. Right. Queens might have a different perspective in their county leadership, mm-hmm. but the Bronx has you know traditionally I guess not gone. You know, had not had had not put a lot of effort or energy into attaining the speakership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps under a new chairman, Carl Heasty, they're gonna they're gonna make a play for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bronx is seen as uh, somewhere between Brooklyn and in terms of being united as a block. Brooklyn, as you uh, may, as your readers may know, uh, listeners may know, is uh, you know recently Vito Lopez was replaced by Frank Sedio after the big Vito Lopez scandal. Frank Sedio is a much more of a, of a deal maker, bringing in all sides. But at the end of the day, people estimate he probably only has maybe around half of Brooklyn's. Uh, 16 uh, speaker votes. So, you know, Joe Crowley has 12, he has 8, even though his borough is bigger, and then perhaps the leader of the Bronx has 6. That's still enough to get most of the way there to the speakership. Well, unpack that for a second, because mm-hmm. uh, what you're saying to what you're saying is, well, the county chairmen are influential, but they don't actually control, quote-unquote, right. or they don't actually, they can't actually deliver the votes in all the cases. So you're, you're, you're pretty much saying that some of the members out there will vote independently or they'll vote with a different faction or you know, they don't follow the county leader. Aren't there repercussions for that? Right. Um, Brooklyn has had this long democratic civil war between you know, the pro-county sides and anti-county sides. And uh, this has taken uh, different forms throughout the borough. It's a big borough, 2.6 million people. But uh, the strength of the county leader depends on sort of the loyalty of the individual members, and a lot of people are entrenched in their districts, and the a county leader can't necessarily dictate to them what they do. Um, Queens, for many reasons, has, has this, this unity that is, is, is somewhat impressive, and you know all the members benefit you know when they vote in blocks, so they sort of have this sense of loyalty to one another. That um, you know, the other boroughs don't replicate. Manhattan is the wild, wild west. Uh, every single member, uh, which I believe it's ten, votes independently of one another. So the speaker candidates are all, you know, very talking to all the front runners for because not just the current council members, but leading candidates who are going to be they think is, are going to be in the council in 2014. Talking to all these candidates, talking to incumbents running for re-election, and trying to you know make themselves the most favorable uh, as possible uh, over the next six months. So. What happens to the people who don't back the right person? Well, they're not as likely to end up on a powerful committee. Okay, so so there's certainly strength in numbers then, mm-hmm. I guess, for for individual council. Right. Now, this is this is all scrambled by the fact that there is a lot of turnover because of term limits, mm-hmm. but there are also quite a few members who have been there for a while. There are some who are elected in special elections and the like. So there's this whole seniority pecking order. Um, you know, so there, there are some people you didn't mention as far as being actively interested in the speakership who are not new members. Mm-hmm. Are, are they angling for the for the committees or that race for the powerful committees, finance, land use, and, and the like? Are they or are they kind of waiting until this all this other stuff is decided? I think uh, people that are ambitious in city council politics but aren't trying to become speaker are probably yeah they're hoping to be uh, chair of a significant community that has. Uh, a major impact in city politics or bring, has a major impact at the district that they represent. 
Okay, so let's talk for a second about some of the, you know, some of the interesting races out there. Sure. Um, you know, for council, are there, are there are there races out there that will show, will indicate to us about, you know, who is, uh, which which groups are ascendant as far as the, uh, you know, certain unions or the Working Families Party or some of the other, you know, some of the other factions or the more moderate. I think there's a the Real Estate Board of New York is now has mm-hmm. its own group backing certain candidates. Out there, so all these different factions, and this is progressive alliance, mm-hmm. as you mentioned before, all these different factions out there. So, what 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 are the races to watch that kind of show which way the wind is blowing? I mean, the, the, there are a number of them. I mean, Brooklyn actually, in Southern Brooklyn, has a, a lot of wide open races where there are factions positioning themselves on various sides. Um, state Senator, I mean, former State Senator David Strobin, that race is there are maybe five strong Democratic candidates um, and various. Powers that be are backing different ones. Uh, the Democratic uh, County uh, organization with Frank Studio is backing Ari Kagan. Uh, a lot of uh, labor unions are, are with Igor Oberman and on down the list. Um, Lou Fiddler's seat uh, is much more straightforward. The county organization is backing uh, Assemblyman Alan Mizell, and the Progressive Caucus is backing Mercedes uh, Narcisse. Um, so, you know, if Mizell wins, then Frank Stadio gets one more vote for the speakership race, and if uh, Mercedes Narcisse uh, wins, then the progressives get one uh, for their own voting block. And you can just pick the open seats across the city and just do this again and again. That's a, it's very very interesting. I want to I want to bring another voice into the discussion uh, here. We have on the line Adam Dichter from the Jewish Week, who mm-hmm. is the assistant managing editor and has covered New York City politics for for quite a long time. And uh, Adam, uh, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Pleasure. How are you, Michael? Okay, so welcome back, uh, Adam. And I, I think you know, as we've kind of teased out from our discussion so far tonight, that there is just so much going on in in New York City politics. But one thing uh, we had uh, former Senator Sherobin is running for that 40th council seat on, and uh, Colin, uh, uh, you know, correctly pointed he he pointed out that that might be a bellwether race. Uh, it's a heavily Jewish district, which has some it also has some dynamics between. Uh, uh, Orthodox, non-Orthodox, Russian, non-Russian Jewish, and uh, it seems to be heavily Republican. So uh, that's obviously a race I imagine you're going to be watching over the next couple of months. Absolutely, we'll be watching that closely. But as I understand it, that district uh, was split in a way that the Orthodox community in the neighborhood was not happy with. And uh, it should be, from what I hear, sort of a test to see which vote uh, can be more powerful, the, the Russian vote or the Orthodox vote. Uh, it might not have been that way, if I'm correct, uh, had they not split it. Is that right? I think that I think that it's actually interesting. Uh, there was an article in uh, the the newspaper Hamodia uh, this week about, uh, given the Supreme Court ruling on the Voting Rights Act, which I, they say precipitated the drawing of the district this way, uh, they might try and figure out how to redraw the district. Although I'm not sure that that's even possible at this point uh, to do something like that. Well, we'll certainly be late in the game. Ballots are already uh, being formed and uh, people campaigning in the district. Yeah, I would agree with that. But uh, so I was a little bit surprised to see that to see that article out there. But uh, the I, I guess you know one one of the thoughts out there is that the Russian the multiple Russian candidates in the race might split the Russian vote, and then a non-Russian candidate could potentially uh, could potentially. Well, you could look at it the other way also because there, there are more than one Orthodox there are more than one Orthodox candidate. Uh, not that I know. Uh, I, th- I think Chaim Deutsch is the only Orthodox uh, yeah, candidate so he's, he's out there. Yeah, so he benefit from the split in the Russian vote, sure. Okay, so I want to get a take from both of you, um, you know, and I think this, uh, Colin, is, you know, you first. Uh, 
handicap the the factor of the Jewish vote. I know you you covered Brooklyn for a long time, and you know, the Jewish vote is a big factor out there in uh, in Democratic Party politics, but in New York politics in general, certainly in Brooklyn. Uh, how is the Jewish vote a factor coming up in the citywide races? As and then uh, down, you know, obviously there's certain council districts where it's important, and certain mm-hmm. ones where it's not. But let's talk about the citywide races. I think it's I think it's enormously important. I think you have uh, all the major candidates. Uh, Courting the Jewish vote extensively, and uh, they're going to make up a, a sizable percentage of the Democratic electorate. Um, you know, for the for some communities, uh, the you know Orthodox communities, uh, Russian Jewish communities, they might vote in the vote Republican in the general, but they, if they're registered as Democrats, you know, they'll still have a significant say in who wins those races. And um, I mean, one of the things to watch, of course, is uh, the Sotmar vote in Williamsburg because they tend to vote in block. So that just is thousands and thousands of votes uh, without any uh, sort of dissenting votes outside of uh, the two main factions. But the two main factions vote against each other, so uh, don't quite cancel know, each other out. I mean, <laughs> don't quite candidates correct, in the correct. race, you they, know, it matters. You got to figure out the delta there. But Adam, uh, you know, I think one thing that uh, you know you're very familiar with uh, being at a citywide uh, or you know regional Jewish newspaper, there's more than one Jewish vote out there. There's not just the Orthodox Russian, but there's, there there are a very sizable number of non uh, of non-Russian, non-Orthodox Jews in you know the Upper West Side, for example, who vote in huge numbers in these races. Absolutely, we've been asking all the candidates about that. What is their impression? You always see them. Uh catering to them to more orthodox vote by going to visit the rabbis in Borough Park and coming out with these positions. And you don't really see much campaigning to the, to, to the majority, which is the liberal Jewish vote. And uh, we ask them often how, how do they uh, view that. I mean, if you see some of the positions that they, they take, particularly on the issue of, of the circumcision issue, Motsi to the path, a lot of them seem to be attacking to the, uh, toward the right-wing position on that. Uh, that the city has no uh, role at all to play in that uh, interference in religious practice. John Liu, in particular, who we interviewed this week in the Jewish Week, has, has a very tough position against the administration on that. Some of the other people are more moderate and say, let's you know, reexamine the issue. But it always seems to be a, a very strong pitch to the Orthodox and to the, to the most fervent of, uh, segment of the Orthodox because it's perceived that they will turn out in very large numbers as a block vote. You don't see people really talk. I mean, there are a lot of people who, who cast a vote the opposite way and feel that the city should have a role in that. You don't see that kind of vote getting addressed. You don't see really many other issues that are important to the Jews that are, that are being talked about. And now, as, as we see with what's happening today, that uh, Israel is now going to take a big uh, jump into the race with uh, Anthony Weiner making a, uh, taking a position on, uh, on the West Bank, which has nothing to do with New York City, but it should be a very interesting diversion. Now, listen to all the other candidates come out with positions on that. So do they do they cater to these issues? I mean, John Liu being possibly the most progressive or going after the most progressive mantle or the most liberal in, in some senses, uh, it, it going uh, on this issue, taking a, I guess, would be perceived as a, a more uh, right-wing stance. I'm not sure, a more conservative stance, although I'm not sure where you know, one falls out on that because it, it can be libertarian. Well, Christine Quinn is the only one saying that the, the city's position is appropriate here in terms of uh, trying to... So she's uh, the only uh, one on that yeah. on that issue. That's that, that's fascinating. Yeah. But Katz Matitas seems to be saying a little bit more of it. When we spoke with him, he kind of hinted that maybe that mall should be certified healthy before they can perform that procedure. But Are they alienating other Jewish voters by saying, by saying that, by taking that position? Well, I think a lot of other Jewish voters who are not Orthodox really tend to pay more attention to the general issues and, and not the Jewish issues, the issues of employment and the city's overall financial uh, health and condition. 
uh, all these other issues that are that are motivate other voters. I think the the main issue in this election really is going to be crime. I think people are very concerned that the next mayor is going to be equally uh, aggressive on crime. I think with the ruling in the city council now, people are very concerned about how that's going to affect the ability of the police to function. I, I think that's an issue that concerns a lot of Jewish voters, especially in neighborhoods where there is a, where there's biased crime, uh, in neighborhoods where people are very worried about the crime, the numbers creeping back up. So I think uh, that's something we should look at going forward in this race, that I think a lot of people are going to cast their votes more on that than in any other issues that we, that we talk about, certainly more than Israel and certainly more than the, than the British issue. So it's back to the quality of life issue. Uh, Colin, is, uh, is, could that explain uh, some of the middle-of-the-road type of position of Bill Thompson on uh, stop, uh, stop and frisk? Well, I think absolutely. Uh, that uh, He's trying Thompson. to cater to a lot of those, you know, some of those outer borough uh, Jews that uh, had, has long been supporters of his? Sure, and uh, not just outer borough Jews, but outer borough uh, white ethnics, outer borough anybody that's a middle class that, that has a home uh, is otherwise uh, where, where, you know, maintaining police safety is, is the number one issue. I think, you know, Bill Thompson made a calculated risk of saying that, you know, his base voters, uh, uh, his base group of Democratic voters won't abandon him over his positions on, on supporting more moderate police stand, uh, you know, policing policies and that uh, he can sort of expand his coalition. Okay, so where do, we, where do things stand right now with, uh, with the one Jewish candidate in the race? I, Colin got to tackle this earlier, um, but uh, I want to give Adam a stab at it because I, I don't want to leave him out of the fun. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Wiener has certainly has certainly come in from a, a from a Jewish perspective and, uh, you know, and, and and upset certain assumptions that people had with regard to how you know, uh, Jews might vote in this race. Is it, would that be correct, Adam? Yeah, I, I think he's going to do very well with Jews, but not because he's Jewish. I, I think that. Oh, he's interesting. Doing, okay. he's, doing well with, he's doing well with everybody. And I think the reason he's doing well with everybody is because when, the more he gets out there and campaigns, the better for him. He's a very, very articulate person. You can pretty much throw any issue at him, and he comes with a, up with a pretty good answer. He's witty, and he has a style that's different from the others. He doesn't wear a jacket when the others are wearing jackets. He stands up when he talks. He, he, he engages people much more directly. I think the reason that he is excelling right now is because the other candidates, uh, not that they're wrong on any of the issues, but they're basically boring. And this guy is not boring. He knows how not to be boring. And he comes into the race with the baggage that doesn't make him boring, and he's getting the attention he needs. I've been to events, and I'm sure you have too, where he, he walks in and the cameras all, all go to him. So he's, he's got the charisma, and the best thing for him is that the jokes are all out there already. There's nothing else that people can say. The late-night comedians are not going to make the same jokes over and over again. If nothing like this happens again, if nobody else comes out with pictures or anything like that, that issue is behind him. Now he's being taken seriously as a candidate. So what's going to happen is that they have to start throwing issues at him that really have to do with the city. And that's why this is wrong. I don't think it's a coincidence that someone walked up to him yesterday when the big issue was the, was the Doma ruling in the Supreme Court and asked him a completely unrelated question about Israel. And the same day that a poll came out, a Marist poll, that has him number one. He's gaining. Christine Quinn is losing. He's taking support away from her. I think that uh, it's not a coincidence that... It's, it's kind of putting the focus on, on what might be a weakness for him, and it'll be interesting to see if that takes hold, whether the Middle East politics, every New York uh, mayor has to have a Middle East policy, even though obviously he or she has no uh, uh, you know, control over what happens there, no policy. It's a bully pulpit in terms of the Middle East. Everybody's interested. Uh, candidates very often, as Michael Bloomberg has done, uh, go, go and travel to Israel. Joe Lotus talked about traveling to Israel during the campaign. People care a lot about the Middle East, 
on a gut level and an intellectual level, but of course it's not a real issue in the city. So it'll be very interesting to see if this takes hold now, uh, because he does have a right-wing position. Some people might look at it really as being more of a pandering position by taking that view rather than being more middle of the road. But don't forget, he was a congressman from the, one of the most orthodox districts in the, in the country, and he's, he called, to, you know, he cut his teeth under Chuck Schumer, uh, who was also uh, represent the same district. So he's got this history of, of taking those positions, and the donors that support him expect that. So when somebody put him in that position, he had to, to say what he said. So uh, we're here with Adam Dichter from the Jewish Week, Colin Campbell from Politiker with the New York Observer. And uh, again, uh, if you want to call in, you got questions with regard to the uh, New York City citywide races, 212-529-4620, 212-529-4620. And uh, the interesting thing, Colin, about what's been going on in this race is that the unions are not, which which had, I you know, We'd talked about that they would try and dominate the Democratic primary. They're they're split. You have a big union, 1199, with Bill De Blasio, who is, doesn't seem to be in the top tier right now. The UFT went with Bill Thompson, and uh, that's a big, you know, that has also some Jewish implications. A lot of Jewish members in that uh, in that union, particularly retirees, um, and uh, but also, uh, you know, right after this poll, you had the hotel. Trade Council, which has been uh, not necessarily as well known as a union, but certainly is a been a big factor a, as far as a, a very robust political operation over the last couple uh, cycles, uh, went with uh, Christine Quinn. So uh, you have the unions are all over the place in this race. Right, and actually, uh, people oftentimes refer to unions as the big four. Union three uh, during these you know these recent. Uh, uh, polls that show Anthony Weiner surging uh, ahead, uh, SEIU 32BJ, which is a building workers union, which is very powerful, uh, endorsed uh, Christine Quinn as well. Correct. And, uh, yeah, these guys, uh, these guys matter. The, the, uh, you know, the UFT might spend $7, 8000000 million on just you know, an ad campaign. Uh, Hotel Trades, which endorsed today, is saying that they'll spend $2 million. Uh, with these these candidates, you know, they're, they're, they're sp- their spending is capped because they're part of the campaign finance system. So this sort of gets, lets them operate outside of that. And, uh, yeah, there's no one labor candidate that is emerging. I know Bill, uh, Bill de Blasio was hoping it would be him, but he seems to keep coming up uh, as every union's second choice outside of uh, 1199. So the fact that they're so split, I, I think, mitigates their, their voice somewhat. Although, you know, it also amplifies their voice in the case of if your candidate wins. You know, if, if uh, Bill Thompson wins, the UFT will have a, a greater voice in city politics. So, Adam, when we talk about these uh, independent expenditures that the unions might go ahead, and a lot of times we associate independent expenditures with, uh, with negative campaigning because uh, no candidate likes to pay for negative ads against their Opponents, you don't want to have your fingerprints on it, so you say it's independent. Are, are we going to get to a point that, uh, in this primary that the differentiators, everybody's going to have to be going negative? Is it, is that uh, is that what's inevitable in this uh, in this race? Well, we really haven't seen any any of the candidates attack each other. If you go to the mayoral forums, you'll see that where people throw a little bit of mud. But you really certainly haven't seen any campaign commercials yet. As it gets closer to the, to the wire, of course, we're going to see that people going head to head. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but what are the issues they're going to throw? I mean, what, what are the positions that they're going to use? I mean, I, when it gets, when it's, when it's a, a runoff and it's candidate to candidate, then you'll, you'll probably start to really see the kid gloves come off. And, and if it's Anthony Weiner, I think he's going to have to face the fact that he was publicly dishonest. There's footage of him lying to the cameras, and that's going to be very dangerous for him. But for 
the unions, I mean, just, just to have their different positions. On, I don't think the candidates' positions are, are, are that far apart uh, that they can really throw mud based on that. But, you know, the important thing for the unions is to get out the vote operations that they have, to have people out on the street on Election Day, which is crucially important when you have union uh, support to, to have those people out there handing out cards telling the members who to vote for. Now, we haven't talked about the uniform services unions at all. The uh, the police, the firefighters, the uh, sanitation, I don't know if they, they count uh, corrections. Where, where, are, where are all they going to be? Uh, they're currently mostly with uh, Bill Thompson, although they're not as politically organized. Okay, oh, they've all endorsed Bill Thompson so far. Mostly. The, uh, the, so the firefighters have endorsed Bill Thompson? Uh, I don't know about the firefighters in particular, but I know uh, Bill Thompson rolled out in, uh, a, a bunch of a bunch of uniformed uh, unions and it was, you know, represent 150,000 people or something like that. So I think he has the bulk of them, although um, I'm not quite sure where the firefighters have come out. They're not usually thought as, of as like a crucial citywide endorsement. Okay, we have, a, we have a question on the line from Jeffrey. Jeffrey's calling in. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, welcome to Spin Class, and what's your question? Uh, we have Adam Dichter on the line from the Jewish Week, as well as uh, Colin Campbell from the Politicker, New York Observer. And uh, we're talking about uh, political races, 2013. Uh, well, I'm just calling in mostly to uh, congratulate Michael on his election as the village, and his re-election, I should say, as Village Lawrence trustee. Well, uh, th- th- we hadn't mentioned that we hasn't mentioned that race yet in this uh, on this show. Um, That's an important one. But there weren't a lot of union endorsements uh, going on in that one. But Jeffrey, thank you very very much uh, for that, uh, uh, and I, I appreciate it. You caught me a little bit flat-footed, so uh, which is which is rare. But uh, but thanks. You have a question about the uh, about 2013 at all? Um, not off the top of my head at this time. No. Okay, well, good. We'll see. Look, all politics is local, and we and and certainly uh, village elections are are exciting and important, but they don't necessarily make it to the politicker. Why is that, Colin? Can you repeat that one more time? Why don't the village elections and you know that I just won? Why did they make that to the politicker? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's a finite amount of uh, of you know people we have working for us, and bigger events are often happening on the the mail race. Thousands and thousands of people interested in it and a wide audience, while some of the more local council races, you know, I don't know if there's dozens of people interested in it outside of the, you know, the smallest group of insiders who, mm. you know, care about, say, like the speakership vote or... Right, right. Well, you know, this is the, you know, this is the junkie show for political junkies. Mm. But uh, I think, you know, obviously Jeffrey was one of my voters. Uh, you know, I did get 750 votes. I mean, mm. that's, that's a big, that's a big number in that, uh, you know, in the little uh, little place where I live. But let's, let's jump back, uh, you know, to, uh, to some to some final thoughts with regard to the race. We're almost out of time, and uh, an hour really flies flies by incredibly so. Um, but uh, with with regard to uh, with regard to the speaker, you know, Speaker Quinn has that had that kind of inevitability there for a while. That you know, she was the front runner, and she had you know a very powerful position. Colin, as you mentioned earlier, and you know, she was going to be able to, to, you know, carry it with a lot of institutional support. But, you know, if I look back, and I think I've said this on the show before, we've had other speakers who have run for the mayoral T, uh, you know, meaning uh, Gifford Miller and Peter Vallone, mm-hmm. who were both expected to do very, very well. And, uh, you know, Peter, I, I'm sorry, Gifford Miller came in fourth in the, in the Democratic primary. Right. So uh, what, what are the pitfalls that, that Christine Quinn needs to avoid to not suffer that type of fate? I mean, I mean, just first off, you're absolutely right. I mean, at one point she seemed to be, you know, 
far and above the front runner of the race. Uh, when Anthony Weiner entered the room, it's just she's just deflated. And if you ask her people about the polls, they say you know polls go up, polls go down. But for her, it's just a continued downward trajectory. I mean, as far as uh, why this happens to speaker candidates. I mean, for one thing is that they build up a lot of name recognition by passing laws and holding press conferences. And once other candidates get better known, you know, they can compete more effectively. Um, more than that is that a speaker candidate, I mean, a speaker who's running for a higher office has, it sounds funny, but actual responsibilities in that you simply can't just take positions uh, on things without there being uh, a what do you call it, negative, you know, you can't please everybody just by promising the world to everybody because the question is, why aren't you doing that right now? I think... Uh, and it's that old question between uh, campaigning and governing. Yes. Is that the, uh, the, that the question? Adam... Yeah, uh, I would say that the New York yeah. Times had an analysis uh, on, on one of the blogs that going back the last 25 years or so, in, in the Democratic primary, the person who gets who's early front-runner status almost, I think, pretty much always wins the, uh, the, the primary or the runoff. Uh, in this case, you might, you might be seeing history made because uh, she's down and Wiener is up. And it's not as if, I don't think it's really on the issues. Uh, although, you know, like I said, at some of those forums, uh, Quinn has taken some heat from the other candidates because it's only at the top. People are going to throw, uh, you know, train their guns on you when you're at the top. I don't think that's what's taken hold. I think just people are paying attention to the race and they're seeing the dynamics and the personality and the forceful personalities. So Wiener has the momentum uh, up and Quinn has the momentum down. I don't know how she gets that back, what's going to happen in the next, you know, few weeks that's going to change that so if she's slipping now i guess like you say polls go up and polls go down but i don't see what's going to change for her and it could be for the first time that someone is going to take momentum from behind and don't forget he jumped into this race pretty late and he jumped in at second place which is pretty amazing okay well gentlemen i want to thank you both for for joining us here adam dichter from the assistant managing editor of the jewish week uh, reported on uh, politics here in new york city for uh, a few decades and colin campbell of the Politicker, a must-read blog for any for the inner political junkie in you. Thanks for being here on Spin Class, and we hope you'll both join us again as this race progresses. Thank you so much. Okay, this is Spin Class. Uh, we're talking politics coming to the end uh, here, uh, sponsored by Seasons Supermarkets. And I do want to give a quick uh, shout-out and promo for Naomi Nachman, who is doing a supersized edition of Table for Two tomorrow morning at Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst. So if you happen to find yourself... Uh, Shopping for uh, shopping for Shabbos, so late you know shopping on uh, on Friday morning. Uh, you should definitely do that in Gourmet Glot in uh, in Cedarhurst, uh, especially since uh, Seasons in uh, Lawrence is closed currently. Uh, so they're renovating, so uh, you can't go there. So go to Gourmet Glot and see Naomi Nachman uh, giving giving a cooking class. Uh, so uh, we are going to be on hiatus or uh, on a break for the next couple weeks uh, celebrating or actually commemorating uh, Tisha B'Av in the nine days. But we will be back to cover political races uh, later on in, as the summer progresses. And I uh, want to thank everybody for joining us once again uh, here on another Thursday night on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. <laughs>